Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Jarrell Mason, a.k.a. J. Mason. Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Album Cover, where we get inside the entertainment industry with those in the know and give them their flowers while they're here to be celebrated. Right now, I have with me a woman from the 704, Charlotte, North Carolina, if you don't know, born in Newark, New Jersey. She released a five-track EP entitled Black Butterfly, open up for such acts such as Eddie LaVert, Gerald LaVert, the OJs, Mr. Nasty Man, Aaron Hall, and Frankie Beverly and Mays. We're going to talk about her journey in the industry and then some with the one and only Sheila. Sheila, thank you for coming on Beyond the Album Cover. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited about being here. Thank you for the nope, opportunity. No problem. I appreciate you taking the time and it's good to talk to a fellow North Carolinian. So let's just cut right into it. Born in Newark, New Jersey, raised in Charlotte, North Carolina. Who are some of your musical influences growing up? And I was curious, did you ever listen to, I believe it was Power, Power 98 out of Charlotte, who's the big urban station out of Charlotte, correct? Yes, and I did listen to Power 98. As far as my musical influences, definitely Aretha Franklin, uh, Diana Ross, Whitney Houston. Those are my top three, but I love everybody. Uh, some Stephanie Mills, a whole bunch of people, but those are my top three. Aretha, Diana, and Whitney are my top three major influences in life. Mm. So what was it about Diana Ross, Whitney, Stephanie Mills, and some of the artists that you mentioned that made you want to say, I want to become a singer? Was it their voice, their stage presence, their looks, or a combination of different things? I would say a combination of different things. Again, my my top, my number one would be Aretha Franklin. And I started singing pretty much around the time that, uh, well, before then, but the thing that really captured me was a sparkle uh, movie, the original sparkle soundtrack. Uh, Aretha Franklin did that. And I fell in love with just music in general. It, but that was like, one that was very impactful for me because of the movie. I really liked the movie. It was a tragic movie, but it really impacted me as a kid. And just the soundtrack and hearing Aretha sing, it brought it, you know, to life for me. And I just liked, I think subconsciously what she was able to do in your spirit <laughs> just with her voice. And so I see why she's called the queen of soul because I always felt her music touched you deeper. Uh, at a deeper level than just your ears. Sounding right. felt something. Mm -hmm. And her music transcends all genres, rock, pop, R&B, gospel. I mean, the Amazing Grace album. Go ahead and play it. If you have not seen the documentary, I recommend you go see it and you'll catch a young Reverend James Cleveland in the documentary. Now, who was the one artist or group who... You went to go see a concert and you said, I want to get up on that stage. Hmm. I'm going to say Diana Ross. I saw her in concert and she was everything I expected and more. I was a huge fan, but her personality on stage, her glamour uh, and the way she interacted with the audience, she was funny and witty. She, I was not sitting up close, but I felt... Uh, like I was an in an intimate environment, uh, just the way she handled herself and the way she handled the audience, it, it felt like I was up close because she just had that much stage presence, in my opinion. And I like the way uh, the, the we felt as an audience um, after her show was over. It was just uh, a good feeling. And 
that made me definitely want to feel like I would like to do that one day, make people feel like that. Yeah, get in touch by the boss, Miss Ross. That's a great influence. And for this generation's version of Diana Ross in terms of personality and the influence Beyonce, I believe she's performing tonight at Bank of America Stadium for the Renaissance Tour and the Beehive is showing up and showing out. So every shout out to everybody that's out there in Charlotte at Bank of America, part into Queen B and getting their dance on. And on a sidebar, before we go back into the conversation, I like that Renaissance album because to me, I felt like it was a love letter to house. 80s, 90s house, that old school CNC Music Factory, Martha Wash. And then of course she sampled Robin S., you got to show me love on You Can't Break My Soul, which is a great record. And it's just pretty much throwback house with a modern day span. So shout out to Queen B. Yes, yes. Love Beyonce. <laughs> All things Beyonce. I love Beyonce. All hail the Queen. So you have, let's say, when you were younger, what was the first album you remember going to go get at the store with your own money and listening to from front to back? Hmm. To be honest, I, I talked it would have to be that sparkle, uh, but I didn't buy it with my own money. I'm trying to remember when I bought something with my own money. <laughs> oh. Wow. I'm trying to think. It wasn't an album at that point. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, but I'm trying to think. Um I'm so sorry. I should no, know. No, 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 no problem. We'll go with the Sparkle album and then they could come back and uh, answer that. But with the Sparkle soundtrack, it was where we first heard Giving Him Something He Can Feel, which was done by Aretha Franklin and later In Vogue remade. And then the video was pretty much a tribute to Sparkle with the dresses that In Vogue had on and how they were paying tribute to Sparkle. And then the movie we had the late Irene Cara, rest in peace. Lonetta McKee. I can't recall who the other female was in the movie. And then you also had a pre-Mammy Vice, Philip Michael Thomas. Right, right. I can't remember the other young lady's name either, but I definitely remember Lynette McKee. And Irene, I was a huge fan of as well, fame and all that. So always loved her and, it's, you know, she'll be missed for sure. Yeah, definitely. So coming up before cracking your teeth into the industry, did you go into the talent show circuit in school, performing either as a solo artist or within a group? All those things. Um, definitely plays in school, was in children's theater, uh, community events, church events, choir, um, talent shows, um, all of that. Um, trying to think, um, you'd mentioned something else, but yeah, then even as a kid, you know, we had little groups and stuff that we would put together. So I put together little groups and stuff. And so uh, me and my friends, we would go and perform different places um, as kids and um, have been singing pretty much my whole life. Um, anything where there was an opportunity to sing, I did it. Even as a cheerleader, you know, sometimes we would sing <laughs> and do little stuff even in the, um, you know, in our choreography, they would find a way sometimes for me to sing, just to outdo the other school, because, you know, not everybody had a cheerleader who could sing. So, um, yeah, lots of things. I've done all those things, community things, church things. Uh, as a kid, my um, one, just a uh, FYI, uh, John P. Key was my choir director. 
when I was a young girl. Um, he, we had, I was at a very popular Baptist church, and so a lot of talent would come through, and he was our youth choir director. And I was pretty shy as a kid, um, but he was so good with children that um, he helped me really kind of blossom. Patrick Love was also, um, I don't know if you're familiar with him, a, a very popular gospel artist as well who um, worked with me when I was a, a kid. Not as a choir director, but just somebody that we knew who would play when we would go out in the community. Um, and they've gone on to do great things. And so again, I've been singing for a long, long time and I've been blessed to meet a lot of people and work with a lot of people. Right, you mentioned uh, John P. Key. And for those of you who don't know gospel music, John P. Key is one of the cornerstone pillars in gospel music, urban gospel that made it where it's not as stuffy, it's not as traditional, it's to where you can have the young and the old come together and say, hey, this not my grandma and granddaddy's gospel. This is gospel just for me, just like when people heard the whinings, Take Six, Clark Sisters, Commission, um, Company, uh, the group that Donald Lawrence was in. And um, what was that like being in the presence of John P. Key as a kid and getting tutelage from him, knowing that his stock in gospel is something serious? I, I, he wasn't famous then. He was just a really nice person. Um, and he would do anything for anybody. Um, and really, obviously, I was a kid, so he interacted more with my um, parents. Um, but he was just fun. He made us laugh. And again, I was shy, but he made me laugh. He made me not uncomfortable to get up and sing in front of a large group of people because it was a large church. Um, and I was fine singing out in the community, but I was a little timid in church. Um, but he brought that out of me. I mean, brought that, you know, just helped me get past that shyness. He was so much fun um, and he made it fun. So that's what I remember most, just how much fun he was and how kind and nice he was. Mm. Now, the process for determining solos in a choir, was it where they auditioned several singers and then the director picked a person who they felt best to lead a particular solo? Or did they already have somebody in mind for a solo for a particular song? Well, uh, the pastor's children were really great singers. So they, it, it was understood they would sing a lot and they deserved it, they, they were outstanding. But he just said, come here, <laughs> I, I want you to sing this song. Wasn't anything, I practiced anything. He just said, I want to try this. And he would sing a little bit and then he let me sing. And he said, you know, he just, he was very casual. If he felt like he wanted me to do it, he just pulled me out. And again, like I say, being a shy person, I'm glad he didn't do that to me in service. But, you know, after choir rehearsal or sometimes during choir rehearsal, once he knew I was comfortable, he just say, come here and I want you to try this. So it wasn't like I had a lot of choices because the way I was raised, if an adult told you uh, to do something, you did it. So it wasn't optional in my mind. And so I'm glad he didn't give me the option. I probably would have said no, um, but he didn't give me an option and he made it so comfortable for me. It was it was fun and it all worked out right so after high school were there ever plans of college or did you just dive head first into pursuing music full-time 
I went to college and again, sang um, talent shows, do, doing different little things. I actually would sing at weddings and stuff. And that was a little side money for me. So I would, you know, pay for my little bus ticket and go to whatever wedding and uh, whatever it is that I had to do in my in Charlotte or wherever I was going to sing. And um, I sang all through college. That was extra money for me, you know, when I was in college. Um, so, um, yeah, straight to college um, out of uh, high school. I didn't take a break or anything. And once I graduated, that's when I started doing more professional events, got with the management company and uh, started doing some larger dates with, you know, recording artists. Okay. And explain to us the process of opening up for acts, like I mentioned earlier, such as Eddie Levert, Gerald Levert, Frankie Beverly and Mays. Aaron Hall, was it where you had to audition to become the opening act or did their management go through your management and say, hey, we want her to open up for us when we come into town? Right. Uh, the promoters, uh, promoter actually that we were working with, uh, that my management company was working with, she auditioned me because she had a, a roster. So I was not the only artist that this company was managing, um, but I did audition um, and I was the one that got to do a lot of things um, as a result of that. And so we practiced all the time. It was understood that we practiced every week whether I had anything going on or not. Always updating music as different songs would come out and get popular. I had to learn new music so that I was always ready if somebody ever asked me to do anything. And as a result, opportunities kept coming. So that's how that, that worked. Yeah, of that mindset, you got to stay ready so that you don't have to get ready and that when your time has come, you could just drop right on in. Now, did any of those acts happen to catch your show and give you words of wisdom as you were making your way? Yes. Um, the one that most impacted me was Eddie Levert. He did watch the show. From what I understood, he was very particular about who would open for him and he wanted to see, you know, how things were going and um, some artists don't like to look at other artists. They just want to do their thing. Um, but he's, he came early and he watched my show when I came off uh, stage. He let me know that he really enjoyed it. And basically to, to keep pressing, keep doing what I'm doing. And um, it really encouraged me because I was a big fan. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 And like you said, it's a rarity for a headliner to watch an opening act before they perform because you know the headliners some of them they think it's a kick to the ego when the opening act is bringing more heat than you and people are coming to see them than you because we've heard stories about some acts who will later become famous when they were opening up take the thunder from the headliner and the headliner said mm, we got to kick them off the tour that's terrible, but I, 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 well, for one, that was not going to happen with him because he's, he's a showman and he, he has it going on, but I was honored to do it. I had no expectation of him uh, to watch the show, but in light of, from what I understood of his philosophy, he doesn't want to go into a cold stage either. So if I went out and did anything less, I probably would not, you know, have that opportunity. So he wanted people to be excited and feel like they had a good experience. And so I didn't get any of that from him, but I don't think I could have outshined him if I tried <laughs> because he, he is all that. Yeah. Um, so, 
Yeah, so if you're planning on opening up for somebody, future artist, you want to be right in the middle. You want to be warm. You don't want to be too cold where you have butts leaving the seats. And you don't want to be too hot where the headline is like, uh-oh, we got a problem. So we're going to go from there and talk about um during the period where you're opening up for these artists, where you writing demos, writing songs, doing demos and trying to shop for a deal. And what was that process like during that time when you were going, going through that stage? Um, I did have original music, but I did mostly covers. I did introduce uh, a couple of my songs. People liked them, but it wasn't anything that was released. It's a different day in music now. You can, you can do things now you couldn't do back then. So I didn't officially release it and have it playing on the radio or anything, but I did perform it. But for the most part, I did covers um, and that wasn't a problem for any of the acts as long as I obviously wasn't doing anything they were performing. Um, so uh, yeah, I, I did do some original music, but not like this time. This time I, I spent a lot of time in the studio and released it properly. And, uh, and that's kind of where I am now with my first official, officially released EP. Mm -hmm. and, right, right. Not, not, not to cut you off. So you've been songwriting for a long time and you mentioned doing primarily covers. What would you say would be your top three songs that you like to cover? Well, let's see. At that time, I was doing a lot of Whitney Houston and Tony Braxton because at that time it was whoever was popular. I did Pay LaBelle. I did Cheryl Lynn. Like I would always open up on something funky or disco-like. I would. I opened up uh, with Gotta Be Real uh, by uh, Cheryl Lynn. I've opened up on uh, Best of My Love uh, by The Emotions. Um, anything that would get people dancing and excited. Uh, I'm Every Woman by Whitney. I've opened that. I start my show because I would usually have like 15 to 20 minutes and I, it was just like, bam, bam, bam. <laughs> um, and I was song after song. I didn't do a lot of talking, but um, mostly uh, anything that would show off that I could sing. So Patty, Whitney, um, anything that was hot at the time. I've done some Janet and again, Tony was hot at the time as well. Tony Braxton, um, trying to think. Uh, those are Pat LaBelle songs, a lot of that um, kind of stuff. Anything where I could show off uh, vocally because people like that, you know, at that time. Right. See a lot of lines and stuff now, but at that point people really liked a power singer. And so I chose those type songs. Right. And who would you say, in your opinion, is the one female artist who had all the vocals in the world, can do all the vocal gymnastics, but for some reason or another, never really had that mainstream success that they should have deserved? So who do you think was your one female singer that you felt vocally was unstoppable, but for reasons or another, never really got the mainstream success they should have gotten? If I go just off the top of my head, because I think there are there are a lot of them, um, but I want to say Shanice Wilson, maybe. Definitely um, was somebody I just thought, I mean, not that she didn't do well. She did great. Um, uh, Tracy Spencer, Stacey Lattisaw did pretty good. But um, I, if for, right off the top of my head, I'm, I think Shanice. I feel like I've said that about her before. Um, but I know there are others that I'm just not thinking of right now. Definitely Stephanie Mills. But to me, they've had good success. 
they haven't become, in my mind, superstars, you know, like mm-hmm. the Beyonce's and the, um, the Aretha's. But, uh, you know, I, I, I think they've done well, but I think talent wise, they could do. And I'm going to say even in the gospel realm, to me, Leandria Johnson. I'm I'm just crazy about her voice. Um, I, I she's popular, but I just feel like she's nowhere near where um, I feel like her voice should have taken her by now. It's my opinion. Right, right. And for me, I'll give my two female artists who I felt should have had bigger success: um, Mickey Howard, and uh, another one. I think it was because the label she was signed to didn't know what to do with her. And I think because of that, you know, we all knew what happened after that. And I think you know who I'm talking about. Uh, the late Phyllis Hyman. Yes. I loved her too. Right. Um, and, you know, in my mind, I guess to me, they they were very successful. But to your point, they prob- they don't get the accolades. They do for me as a fan, but yeah, they could have definitely used more, um, uh, uh, gotten a little more credit. Yeah, and I also put Allison Williams in that category as well. First female act to be signed to Def Jam, put out the Raw album, had the singles, My Love So Raw, Just Call My Name, so I put her on there as well. So you took a little bit of time away to uh, deal with some things, and you decided to come back with the five-track EP, Black Butterfly. What was that like, being away from the scene for a minute, and then going back into the studio and recording that? What was that like for you? I think, uh, for me, it's it's great. There's a book I read one time uh, by John Maxwell's called Talent is Never Enough. And I I definitely feel like I was very talented, but I think... um, one of the reasons I, I took the break was I had lost my mother. And for me, that was the biggest life-changing experience I had ever had. And that was tough to deal with. And so um, church was a place of solace for me, a place of refuge. So when I when I say I took a break, I took a break more from professional pursuits. But uh, church, I, anybody knows me knows I sing all the time in church, um, not just choirs, but anything going on in the church. A lot of times I've been blessed to sing at our conferences and different things. It really put me back in touch with why I sing. Um, it reminded me that what God has given me is a gift to be shared. I take it way more seriously. My character has developed in a way that now when I write, I have something to write about. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, my, I, I'm, a, I'm a different person. I have some substance that I didn't have at that time. Um, so I would say the break was necessary in order for me to be able to write some of what I wrote on Black Butterfly and what's to come, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it makes totally sense. And I want to go back to gospel and then we're going to go forward. What was it like the first time you heard the Clark sisters? Oh, just blown away. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned them. That all of them can sing. Uh, just blown away. Their 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 range, their style, their creativity. Uh, their we all say that our uh, voices are instruments, and and they are. But the way they use their voices 
is so um, exceptional and and gifted. It's just it's in a class by itself. I've always uh, been blown away by the Clark sisters. They can sing anything. Right. And when you look at their Lifetime movie and saw the work that Dr. Maddie Mouse Clark put into them, and then you hear SWV, Faith Evans, Kelly Price, a lot of the female R&B singers of the 90s, they were heavily influenced by the Clark sisters. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, how can how can you not be? Definitely their runs and all the things that they do, they're so uh, creative vocally, but that that does take work. You don't just, you. I, I don't doubt that they are just gifted and they can probably just do whatever they want with their voice. But when you start talking about how they prepared, you don't sing like that without preparing. You do have to really um, put the work in, put the time in, take care of your body, take care of your voice, or you can't, you can't sing like that otherwise. Right. Um, first time you heard commission. I like them too. I, I I love a lot of the songs, the content as well, but the style was um the content and the style, I, I, a lot of that I heard in college. Um so they were you naming like some of my top people, <laughs> like things that I would put on repeat. That that would be commission. That'd be the Clark sisters. I like BB and CC wine and some when it came out. Um, so many of them. I was listening to just about everybody. So definitely all the contemporary gospel. You know, Mary, Mary, everybody. Um, but yeah, commissioned. Um, they really touch your soul. Um, I, you know, tomorrow. That that's one of my uh, favorites. Um, and that's that's one of my favorites. Um, but I, I just liked uh, a lot of your music. They were one of my favorite gospel groups in school. Yeah, commission definitely a heavy influence in gospel. And R&B, because a lot of 90s male R&B groups were heavily influenced by them. Silk covered Cryon. Um, if you listen to I'm Still Waiting by Jodeci, Casey, not Casey, excuse, yeah, Casey, he took a part of Running Back to You and put that into the vamp part of I'm Still Waiting. And for those that don't know, Casey and JoJo, they were in a gospel group, the Haley Singers, before Jodeci. And then, of course, Devontae was in a group with his dad. And uh, they, you can hear the gospel influence when Jodeci came together, but commission and how, you know, Fred, Keith, Mitchell, Carl, Marvin Sapp, everybody else that later came into the group, how they were able to meld gospel and R&B to where, like I mentioned earlier, generations of male R&B groups were heavily influenced by them. And same thing, for take six with their acapella style and how pretty much if you listen to Boys to Men, you hear take six. And of course, Brian McKnight, you hear take six because of course his brother, Claude, in take six. Yeah, so many artists have come out of the church and um, it's it's truly the, the gift of music and any kind of art to me is a gift from God, it's ministry. So to me, I know we like to, uh, label things and categorize things and box things up real neat. Mm -hmm. um, but it doesn't surprise me that um, R&B and some of these other genres have the influence they do and that so many of the greats come out of churches um, because it's soul music. <laughs> it touches your spirit, it touches your soul and, and it comes from a real place. And I think that in church, uh, there's um, 
there's a depth uh, of uh, that comes to when you feel something. It's like a it's a necessity. Like I need to feel it because if I don't feel it, it's hard for other people to feel it. And it comes from a real authentic place, and it'll it'll resonate. And so that doesn't surprise me at all. The gospel influence. Right. And let's and let's talk about real quickly how radical it was at the time when Kurt Franklin came yeah. out and how Stomp got airplay on BET and MTV and how some people in the church, let's be honest, weren't too happy about it because they felt the church should stay within the four walls and not expand. But we're to go where to the people are. So if the people want to listen to hip hop or R&B but have a gospel message, then go where they're at and not stay confined and closed in. So let's just talk about the impact of Kurt Franklin and what he meant not only to just gospel, but to the music industry at large. Uh, I think he gave, um, it's hard not to talk about him in regard to gospel because he was so impactful of in, in bringing gospel to uh, the masses. We have a lot of people who go to church and go to secular concerts, but they don't talk about it. Um, and to me, what he did is gave us all permission to just say, you know what, I just enjoy good music. And um, so to me, that's one of the ways that he's impacted, um, not just gospel, but the music in, in general is given to me, uh, gospel artists, uh, more of a platform than I think they would have had had there never been a Kirk Franklin or a Mary Mary or some of those people who took the risk, took the chances um, and, and helped mainstream see that there's a lot of people out here who like gospel if we were willing to really um, just be ourselves in it. Like sometimes people will play something so that it sounds churchy. And to me, Kirk gave himself permission to just play what he liked and what he thought other people would like. And the lyrics obviously uh, speak for themselves, but it to me broadened uh, the music industry in a way um, and, and made things a little less rigid, if, if that makes sense. Does that answer your question? That's Yeah, yeah. Def definitely um, answers that because, you know, within the church, church folks have a tendency to be where everything has to be strictly by the book and you can't venture out because I tell people all the time for me growing up I didn't really listen to gospel like that my dad was a pastor but the turning point for me I remember being six seven years old riding with my dad to Newport News Virginia and he had in his car the return album by the Winans mm -hmm. and majority of the tracks on that album were produced by Teddy Riley so for me, being a young kid at the time, listening to Guy and everything that Teddy was producing, that had me hooked in how their voices with his production, and of course, Aaron was singing background on a friend, it made me feel like, hey, I'm listening to a gospel track that Guy, you know, probably would have done, because of course, Teddy was doing it. But for me, that was where it was like, okay, this is where, this is for me. It doesn't feel like, my dad or anybody's forcing me to listen to Jackson Souvenirs, Williams Brothers, or anybody on Blackberry or Malico. If you know, you know. But um, it was the beginnings, I would say, of where gospel pretty much, at that point, merged with different genres. And we can go back and credit the pioneers of that, like Andre Crouch, the late Andre Crouch, Edwin Hawkins, the Hawkins Singers, uh, the late Bishop Rance Allen and Rance Allen Project, and uh, 
Pastor Shirley Caesar and um, Albertina Walker, Sam Cooke and the Soul Stirrers, and we can go on and on how it had just been a slow build to where now you wouldn't know whether you listen to a gospel track, R&B track, or a rap track, and that just goes to show you the depth and the breadth of, of gospel and how it just expands and how people want that realness and they want it delivered to them in a way that they can understand it and they can relate. I agree. Amen. Well said. I absolutely agree. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. And, um, you know, the five track EP, Black Butterfly. Um, what was your favorite song to write on that EP? The favorite song to write, definitely Blessed. Um, it really, Blessed was just me thanking God and just uh, expressing my gratitude. It was a song that um, was one of the first ones I wrote, just expressing myself, just having a good day. Um, because I don't know if I've shared this, but a lot of it was written during COVID. And um, there's a lot happening, obviously, for a lot of people. And it was a depressing time. But I remember just one day just thinking about all the things that were not going wrong because a lot of things, people were losing their jobs and losing loved ones. And I'm like, uh, you know, I still have income. My loved ones have not, you know, thank God been taken uh, in this uh, environment. And so many things were going well. I was like, I just got to give God some praise because I could be having a whole different experience right now. And so blessed was just me just having a little fun and thanking God. And um, and it it turned into a song that worked out on the CP. So that was the most fun to write. Mm -hmm. And uh, you put that out on your own uh, production company, Black Butterfly Productions. And uh, what's the feedback has been since the release? People like it. Um, and a lot of people have commented on the content that they like the positive vibes. Um, and it has an inspirational tone to it, even though that wasn't my intent. Um, but what's in you comes out. And so um, I'm I'm not a negative person. Um, and so that's probably why some of the things that are on there uh, came out the way they did. Even Black Butterfly, I don't know if you've had an opportunity to hear it. That's my title uh, track. Um, it has obviously some heavy themes in it, but the whole point was to encourage our community um, and let us know that we are special despite the struggles that we go through. Um, so the feedback has been great, in my opinion. I feel real good about the things that people have been saying. I haven't heard any negative things. I'm not saying that there are some people who probably wouldn't like it, but they haven't told me. <laughs> so I like it and I think the feedback's been great. Right. right. And you mentioned earlier Miss Stephanie Mills. Can you give me your top five Stephanie Mills records? Top five. Um, well, I've been listening to her since she was on Broadway. So um, when I think of home, I got to put that on there. Um, I feel good all over, of course. Um, I like How Come You Don't Call Me, not the most popular of her songs. Um, what's the other one um, I like? Uh, I feel good all over. I know I'm missing a major one, but right now I'm thinking about something about the way you make me feel. Um, There's four, it's the other one. There's one I'm missing. I'll just shoot out some song titles and let me know if it's it. Um, Comfort of a Man. 
I like that, but no, that's not my top five. Um, you're putting in a rush on me. No, but I like that too. I like uh, a lot. Of uh, respect the power of love. That would definitely be one. So that'll give me five. Yeah, and I believe that record was done by Angela Wimbush, who is another underrated female yes. singer that does not get no credit. I mean, her work with Renee and Angela and then her solo stuff, She she's another one that needs to get uh, recognized for what she's done. Also, another underrated female singer, in my opinion, the late, great Vesta Williams. She was vocally a uh, powerhouse, too. Yes, yes. But, but definitely Angela, I didn't even think about her. And that's the thing, you know, there's so much talent out there and so many people who have, you know, influenced uh, music that sometimes you just don't even think of them because some of the same names come up, but definitely great, great singers. Yeah, and it's crazy to think how during that period, the 80s and 90s, even the early 2000s, the female R&B category was stacked we had Angela Wimbush, Stephanie Mills, Anita Baker, Sade, Phyllis Hyman, Tony Braxton. You could just do Pinatel on the donkey, spin around with a bat five times, throw a dart, and you'll get somebody good. I mean, that's just how deep not 80s and 90s female R&B was. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you bring in a lot of things back to my remembrance. <laughs> right. Right. So who would you say was the one act that you listened to that a lot of people would be surprised? Like, man, I didn't know, you know, she listened to that act. And somebody, I guess that people would be surprised because um, I listen to everything and everybody. I like all, well, I won't say I like all genres, but there's a lot of genres of music that I like. Um, I know this, this, uh, well, I like rap music too, uh, old school rap, like LL Cool J for sure. Um, so I would say um, maybe people wouldn't know that I, I like him, and um, you know, a lot of the a uh, lot of the uh, old school rappers. But him, he would be one of my favorites. Right. And speaking of old school and hip hop, um, by the time this interview drops, hip hop will be 50 years old officially. So um, what's your thoughts on hip hop being 50 and going from Sugar Hill Gang and everybody that came before them to where it's the biggest musical genre in the world and it's pretty much big business? Well, I think it's great that it's 50 years old. Um, and I, I I just think it's wonderful to see how much um, it's evolved. It's brought a lot of joy. I know it gets a lot of heat too sometimes because of the lyrics um, and the content can get a little rough sometimes. Some would say even a little uh, misogynistic, <laughs> um, but I am still glad um, that it, is, it has made it 50 years and I'd like to see it continue to grow. Um, it is big business and it has the ability to really influence um, so I, I like to see um, some of the more positive uh, hip hop artists get a little more attention um, so that it's a little more well-rounded. But, you know, everybody's speaking their own truth. But as long as it is truth and it's not imbalanced, I, I feel real good about it. But I love hip hop and I, I really enjoyed the Grammys uh, when they did the tribute. It was one of the most exciting Grammy uh shows I've seen 
So I, I really uh, think that's great. Yeah, I definitely enjoyed the hip hop medley at the Grammys and all throughout the country and throughout the world, you can find various hip hop at 50 celebrations and go get your tickets to go see the force tour with LL Cool J, The Roots, DJ Jazzy Jeff, along with various acts that'll be popping up at various stops. So go ahead and get your tickets now, celebrate hip hop, turning 50 and you don't stop. So you got the EP out. What's next for you? Uh, well, I'm in the studio now working on my second project. Um, I should have a single coming out September of this year. Um, but right now, I'm just enjoying the journey. Uh, I'm just enjoying the journey. I love music. I'm thankful to have the opportunity to participate and contribute in the way that I am. Um, I, next, um, I just want to see where this goes. Um, but I'm, I'm not... Um, trying to be the most rich or famous. I'm not opposed to it, but I'm just thank thankful uh, for the opportunity to still be able to write and sing and perform and even have the opportunity to talk to you today. It's been a wonderful, wonderful journey so far, and I'm looking for better days ahead. Right. And um, real quick, you mentioned something the way you made me feel about Stephanie Mills. I don't know if you've heard this, but this was back in the early 90s where... Kid Capri, he took the break beat from Impeach the President and put it over Stephanie Mills' vocals of something in the way you make me feel. And it was one of the first early hip-hop blends. So you definitely want to check that out. It's on YouTube. Just type in uh, DJ Kid Capri, Stephanie okay. Mills, and you'll be able to find that. It's a great mashup and definitely one of those ones that for hip-hop hits really mm -hmm. let us know that, okay, we could take this young up and coming genre and pretty much take R&B, meld it in the middle. And of course, that's what Teddy Riley did with New Jack Swing. And then, of course, Marley Maul, who a lot of people don't know, produced a lot of the early cuts off uh, Heavy D and the Boys debut album, Living Large, uh, Rest in Peace, Heavy D. And then, of course, prior to them, I think these guys don't get enough credit but kind of pioneering that um, with their own work. And of course, later with Lisa Lisa and the Cold Jam, UTFO. And then they later went on to write for Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, LFO, Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, Rihanna. And I'm talking about Full Force. Yeah. Yeah. It's... Yeah, yeah full, full force, definitely a force to be reckoned with. And if you don't think so, they'll kick you. You know what? If you've seen House Party, you know what I'm talking about. So shout out to Full Force. And before we conclude the interview, any shout outs you want to give and also plug your socials? Um, well, I want to shout out um, Christopher Niles Madden. He's featured on my title track, Black Butterfly. He also produced all the music. And as you were sharing uh, you know, about even Kid Capri, I'm gonna check that out. But there are so many uh, producers out here who are, are doing things and you don't know because you just sometimes know the artist. Uh, but I wanna shout him out, Christopher Niles Madden. I wanna um, shout out my husband, uh, Carl Wanamaker. Um, he's also um, very, uh, been a huge impact in my career and obviously in my life. Um, and uh, my social media is Sheila the Artist on all the platforms. I'm on TikTok, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Facebook. Um, 
can't think of anything else right now. I'm also on Django Radio, but Sheila the Artist is uh, how you can find me uh, on almost all those platforms with the exception of Facebook, it's just Sheila. Um, thank you so much for allowing me to share. Yeah, for sure. And, and you can catch this interview wherever you stream podcasts on YouTube at youtube.com slash beyond the album cover. And be sure to follow the Facebook group, facebook.com slash beyond the album cover to stay updated with the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, let's give a big thank you for Sheila for coming on to Beyond the Album Cover. Sheila, thank you so very much. Thank you. Thank and you're more than welcome to come back anytime. Thank you. Thank you. you have a good night. Thank you. <laughs>